0: Well, if you don't like what we're playing, you should just go get your own radio show. Okay, well, I'll look into that.
1: Welcome to Radio Survivor, the sound
2: of strong communities. My name is Paul Reismandel, and I'm one of your hosts. Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Klein, other host of Radio Survivor, and we're joined on the line from San Francisco by Jennifer Waits. Hi, Jennifer. Hi. And Jennifer is
1: here often to help us uh, explore the world of college radio. It's her beat. It is your beat. You also... That is my beat. You, you are a radio tourist, so you, you go and tour many radio stations, which include college radio stations, also includes low-power FM stations and community stations, and you share these tours with us, and you share news from college radio, so we have, we have a little bit of college radio news... Which is the Princeton Reviews list of uh, top college radio stations, which you will share some of that with us and problematize and um, and we 're also going to dive in a little bit to uh, I think a fun part of non commercial radio of college and community radio, which is uh, late night yeah, late night when when this sort of radio gets the most free form. And maybe gets the most weird, interesting, becomes uh, the least uh, dogmatic with regard to format. Um, and, and sort of the inspiration is we'll share an interview I did with an old friend of mine who's been doing uh, this sort of radio uh, for like 35 years overnight. Uh, late Saturday nights on radio station WEFT in Champaign-Urbana. It's a community radio station that's been around since about 1981. Champaign-Urbana is the home of the University of Illinois. It's down in central Illinois. And I spent a lot of years at that station through the 90s and the 2000s where I got to know Ed. His name is Ed Hadley. And he does a show called Incoming Wounded. uh, And on air, he's known as Edley Ben Had. And so we're going to hear an interview I did with him recently. He came out to Eugene, Oregon, which is not too far from Portland, where I live now. And I took the opportunity to go hang out with him, and he was kind enough to talk with me for a few minutes. And, and actually, I got a story of the origin of his show that I I never gotten fully. So we'll hear more about that. And then you know, I hope, uh, Jennifer, you'll have a chance to share some of your own kind of experiences because yeah, you've been at many stations over the years. I think we're going to
2: use that interview as a, as a uh – opportunity to celebrate uh, those late night possibilities out here on alternative radio alternative radio the, it, it doesn't get more alternative than than midnight to 4 a.m. Yeah. out on these stations oh, yeah so.
3: it's a great time to listen to radio
1: some of my favorite but let's first let's let's talk about this so every year the princeton review which which does c- college rankings in general right Uh, Also releases this list of the best college radio stations in the US. So Jennifer, how in the heck can you measure and judge the best college radio stations?
3: well it's subjective and um
2: <laughs> is there a vote is there a
1: national <laughs> poll do you yeah. have to call a 1 900
2: number Don't, with like in sports in the sports world they let they let the sports journalists vote right? That's, right. So, that's right so yeah right. They, they should let all the college radio journalists <laughs> vote and i think that would mean that jennifer would pretty much what control the control the
1: outcome
3: yeah so how <laughs> do college they, radio journalists so won. how
2: do they decide this
3: Well, so it's interesting because every year they release um, this book called The Best Colleges. And um, this year it's called The Best 382 Colleges. So every year it's based on these interviews with students. And these days it's all online, online surveys that students have taken from 382 colleges and Students are asked about a variety of things, about academics, social life, extracurriculars. And based on these answers to student surveys, Princeton Review comes up with 62 different rankings in all these different categories. And so one of the rankings is labeled best college radio stations. And... I've actually been tracking and analyzing this for 11 years now, which is really frightening um, to think about. Um, And from the very beginning, I've I've wanted to look beneath the surface because a lot of colleges get really excited when their school shows up as the number one school for this or that. Uh, Sometimes they're not excited because some of the rankings are these sort of dubious categories like best party school. Mm so a lot of college radio stations will tout, you know, we're the number one college radio station. Um, but in fact, if you go and look at the survey question, it the survey question, well, it's complicated, but um, for this particular edition, the best college radio station list is based on answers to two different survey questions from the past three academic years. So they did some sort of data crunching magic behind the scenes and best college radio station rankings were determined based on answers to this question. How much do you agree or disagree with the following statements at your school? And among the list of statements is college radio station is popular and students were asked to strongly agree or strongly disagree, disagree neither agree or disagree, yeah, agree, Likert scale, or strongly agree. So for two of the years of this survey, that was the question. And then in the 2015-2016 academic year, um, and that data was included in this year's report or book, they asked, which of the following are most popular at your school? Please rank the top five with one being most popular. So they had college radio along with some other activities so so,
1: what is college radio pitched up again? Yeah, That's what a, I want to know. Is it, is it yeah? Is it
3: sports?
1: Is it uh, you know chess club?
3: Well, that and that was just for that one year, um, and I don't have that at uh, yeah, at you the don't, ready. You don't, that information okay. at the ready right now, but I wrote extensively about that last year. Um, but in both cases, both questions are asking about popularity of the college radio station, so they're not asking students about. They're not asking students to give the name of a particular college radio station. Um, so that's important. When you look at the rankings, it's just a list of colleges, not a list of stations.
1: Hmm. So and every why year, is that I, important? Like, like why, 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 does that, why is that a dividing line there?
3: Um, because, as it turns out, a lot of the colleges that make the Princeton Review rankings have multiple radio stations. I which see makes a ton of sense if you're asking students about the popularity of your radio station. And if you go to a college that has three radio stations, including a public radio station, or if you're at a college with like a 100,000 watt station, you're probably more likely to say, yeah, our radio station is popular. Hmm. So, um, you know, I found that over the years. So what I do is I, I look at the names of the schools that they list as the best radio stations. Um, and then I look up what radio stations are on those campuses. And so I report that on Radio Survivor. And if you look at my list, you'll see that quite a few of the schools have multiple radio stations. Some of them have three radio stations, in fact. So it's it's important to note that this is a list of popular stations based on student Reports and, and, what based is
1: up- and it's, it's interesting <laughs> to me. It's based, right, it's based on a perception because it doesn't ask. And this is the question I think I'd ask if I were trying to, to judge this: it would be, uh, do you listen to your college radio station at the very least? I mean, I would you all the more so like to ask people to identify that station. Right. Which, either by call letter or I guess in the case of some Internet stations, they may not have call letters properly. Um, you know, they might just be named. But, you know, to ask that sort of question, because I'm thinking to myself, uh, uh, you know, exactly. I could imagine that somebody at at uh, at the University of Virginia, which has three stations. Right. And one is more of a community radio station. One is a student run station and one is a public station. Uh, they could be thinking of any of those three. And yet student involvement with those stations is variable, right? They're less involved with the public radio station, much more involved with the student-run station. And they might right. not even be thinking of the student-run station.
3: And your University of Virginia actually had a commercial station and an LPFM and a community-slash-college station. Okay. Um. And the commercial station was recently sold off. But but that's a good example. And it's actually surprising that University of Virginia doesn't make the list for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, you would think they would because they had so many stations. But, you know, often I visit college radio stations and people will tell me, yeah, most people on campus don't really know about us, aren't really aware of us. So you might even be involved in a radio station and take the Princeton Review Survey and say, yeah our station's not that popular
1: <laughs> right wow. because that's your perception and right, then you right. can't
3: say and then you can't complain when you're not you don't get best college <laughs> radio station right. So really, like, you should be gaming the survey, saying it's totally popular, <laughs> and, and then later on we can say it's the best radio station.
1: And that's so against the culture, as I perceive it, of college and community radio, too, because my experience in community radio often is this very sort of sometimes downtrodden kind of, well, nobody really knows about us, or isn't that, you know, well, we're always sort of being overlooked, right? There's this sort of eeyore in this to to being in community college radio much at a time, which, totally. which, which would – you know, even even beyond maybe out of proportion with how people actually perceive your station, it might actually be more popular than sometimes than you than you perceive it to be. And it's funny how that would how uh, you could inadvertently work against yourself in that case.
3: Totally. Well, and and when this list comes out, people are like, I can't believe that you know KFJC and WSOU weren't on there. Um, and so that's why I like to point out how the list works. Like, well, you actually can't. KFJC would never be on there because Foothill College is not one of the 382 colleges surveyed.
1: Right, it's so, a, and it's a more of a community college, right? And, and I think these colleges are all four-year or uh, or you know graduate institutions, aren't they? I'm
3: not totally sure about that, but mm-hmm. um, but you know it's a limited universe of colleges that are in the book in the survey, um, and and WSOU like. Um, it's Seton Hall that didn't make the list. It's not a station that didn't make the list. Oh, so so, the, so
1: Seton Hall University is not in the book at all.
3: They're in the book, but oh, they didn't okay. make this year. Um, this year's edition is the 2018 edition. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to add to confusion, um, Seton Hall did not make the best college radio station list this year, but they have in the past.
1: I see. I wonder um, if if, the, if they try to try to sort the list out at all. I wonder, you know, if they try to have a, a fresh ranking year to year, I don't know.
3: Well, I mean, and I look at that every year. So this year, 16 of the 20 schools were on last year's list.
1: Oh, okay. Well, that's not so a this year was rejiggering.
3: Uh, yeah, this year was quite similar. And of the four schools that weren't on the list last year, two had appeared before, and then the other two, I hadn't seen in the 11 years that I've been tracking it. So that's always kind of exciting when I see a brand new school. And those were University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa, and Georgia Institute of Technology. Hmm. Um, and both have 100,000 watt FM stations, by the way.
1: Wow. And those are student run stations or are they?
3: Uh... Um, the one at, George, at Georgia Tech is. That's wow. rec, um W-R-E-K a great station that I have visited. Yeah. Um, And I believe the University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa one is a public radio station.
1: So, so not really a station because part of that is, I think it would seem to me. they also
3: have, they have two, sorry, excuse me. They have two stations at University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa, one of which is a very powerful public station. And one I think is a student station. I see.
1: Okay. Because it would seem to me that, that a purpose, the essential purpose of the list is, for a prospective student to see this and who wants to be involved in a college radio station somehow and to see this. And this might be at least one factor influencing their decision of where to apply, right? That's the whole point of this book is to help students know where they might want to or not want to apply. And if the station were not open to student involvement or you know, in, especially in, in probably what people would assume in college radio, they wouldn't assume seeing that list that it would be oh, you could maybe intern, you know, in, in some sort of very off-air sort of way, as opposed to thinking oh, no, I could have my own show, right? Because I think right. that's probably what people are would assume. It's what most students would assume um, that you would and assume. And I think you could have your own most,
3: show. just looking through the list right now, I think most of the stations on here have student involvement, but, okay. you know, they vary. Mm-hmm. Um, they vary from very student-oriented stations to stations that are student-oriented and part of academic departments um, mm-hmm. to some public radio stations. And again, there there are a number of schools on here that have two or three radio stations also. So, and you know, it's probably a fair representation of places where you could experience doing radio.
1: Okay. And who's number one? Let's just let's just break the uh, <laughs> break break the, uh, the the anticipation here.
3: This year, it's St. Bonaventure University.
1: Where is St. Bonaventure? Do you know? In
3: St. Bonaventure, New York.
1: So that must that is upstate. I'm certain. I don't think it's on Long Island. Hmm. And uh, what what is their station? Do you know?
3: WSBU 88.3 FM.
1: WSBU. Okay.
3: And they and they've been on the list a bunch of times and I feel like they have a radio program there. So that one is never a surprise. They they're Jennifer, usually
2: when you say they have a radio program there, what do you what are you talking about?
3: Oh you know, like a program where people can learn.
2: An academic program. Radio. Yeah. Yeah.
3: That's my that's my understanding. And you know, interestingly, from year to year, it seems like there are often a lot of stations in New York and the Northeast on these lists. Hmm. Um, and I'm not quite sure why.
1: <laughs> They're better at filling out this form. So Saint Bonaventure, if we want, if if anyone's interesting, is is actually in southern New York, but it's in it's in southwestern New York, so just over the line from Pennsylvania. Uh, so it's not you know remotely in the uh, in the New York metropolitan area. It's it's quite far away. I w- the, the nearest metropolitan area would probably be uh, Buffalo, New York, which mm. is I'm probably guessing uh, a couple of hours to the north. So I don't think it's a very big town. Yeah, and, and it may be indeed. You know, they're just better at filling out these surveys <laughs> more so than anything else. I mean, there tends to be a I think a concentration of of universities and colleges in the Northeast, I think, and largely just due to the fact that it's an older part of the country. Many of these schools have just simply been around a lot longer and also therefore maybe had a lot longer to uh, build up their reputations uh, compared to newcomers, compared to newcomers.
3: I'm just digging in a bit more on WSBU. Um, It's a student run station and it was founded in 1948. Wow. So that's pretty awesome.
1: So it's 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 at least well. Uh, it's got a long history, and it's. Pro- I think it's a small school, and you know it. Can, it seems like that often uh, at smaller schools, a, a, a station with a long history is fairly well cemented. You know, it, it tends to, and it's not always the case, right? It can go a lot of different ways. It seems like there, you've met, you've visited a lot of schools that are relatively small, where there has that have had stations for a long time, and they're they are relatively popular. On campus, uh, you know because it 's sort of interesting if you I think about it, it takes the same number of people to staff a station whether you 're in a a school of a, of fifty thousand people or a school of five hundred people, right you still have the same number of hours of the day that you need. To be on the air, ostensibly. Mm-hmm. And so, really, you could have a larger percentage of your student populace involved in radio at a small school compared to a big one. I don't know. Is, is my sort of math off on that in your experience, yeah, Jennifer? Yeah, no.
3: I think, you know, at Haverford College, where I went to school there were periods of time when there were, you know, 150 people involved with the station when the school was less than a thousand students. So, yeah, that's, you know, 10%,
1: that's huge. Yeah.
3: Yeah. At small schools, you can have a very high percentage and often radio stations are the most popular activity, like actually the most popular activity as far as participants. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, and, you know, at St. Bonaventure, I'm going to backtrack. I'm not entirely sure if they have any sort of academic radio program. Um, so, you know, what we know from the station website is that it's student run. Mm-hmm. So beyond that, I i can't speculate yet at this juncture about if there are courses there as well.
1: Well, we have disassembled and looked underneath <laughs> the hood at the Princeton Review uh, 2018 list of top college radio stations. Uh, you can get Jennifer's full analysis at our website, radiosurvivor.com. Um, if you just go to the menu click on college radio, uh, you'll certainly find it very easily. You'll also find it in our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast.
2: We're on episode number 105. Jennifer, what, how would you make this survey uh, more useful to you? What, what, what question would you ask as someone who who cares about college radio and wants to know uh, what students around the country think about maybe their own station.
3: Yeah. I mean, I think Paul mentioned, it would be interesting if people answered a question more along the lines of, do you listen to your college radio station? Um, You know, I don't know about having random students evaluate the quality of their college radio station. Um, And I don't know if their survey tool would allow for people giving specific call letters or names for college radio stations, because, as I've pointed out, often schools that make the list have numerous radio stations. So you don't really know what station people are talking about. So to me, that's less useful. Um, You know, it's more of an idea of, you know, radio stations in general are popular on this campus but it, you can't really slice it any deeper than that. But people mm-hmm. certainly use the results and claim that their station was the best of in the course. country.
1: <laughs> Can As, you, you blame know, them?
3: <laughs> I cannot blame them. I think you know people really pay attention to any time you're given an award or a ranking. Radio and- Survivor is the
2: best <laughs> podcast and radio show out there covering the world of community media.
1: I know. Go.
3: I would. I would definitely put that on our CV. You, you Award narrow,
2: winning.
1: If you narrow <laughs> down the uh, the scope, <laughs> eventually you can get down to a party of one, and then you are the best in your party.
3: <laughs> and you know, and and I think this is unlikely, but what I always love about surveys are when you have open ended questions where people mm-hmm. can share a narrative about their feelings about something. So I would be way more interested in in hearing people's anecdotes about the college radio station right. on campus.
1: That's just so much more expensive to do. It takes I so know. much more time to process I those know. results rather it's way than, than, than a scope. click on the Likert scale. Uh, what do you folks think? What do you, is, this, is this a legitimate way to uh, to look at college radio? Is this list useful at all? Should it even exist? Let us know. Drop us a line, podcast at radiosurvivor.com. That's our email address. You can also tweet at us. You can also drop us a line on Facebook. Uh, we're just Radio Survivor. We're very easy to find, but we re- we really do want to know what you think.
3: And you know what? Just, I want to I add this, too, that on the list of 20 schools, there are schools that have some very interesting radio stations. So none of my critique is meant to belittle any of these stations. In fact, there are stations on the list that I've been to that I have a great deal of respect for. Um, I just want people to understand where the list came from.
1: Yeah, absolutely. No, uh, it, yes, we, we that, that we're not saying that any, anyone is undeserving of recognition or praise so much as that perhaps our ranking as such uh, maybe problematic, yes, exactly. Well, let's uh, let's shift our focus here. We're still obviously st- still on radio for this edition of Radio <laughs> Survivor, and uh, right now we'd like to go ahead and listen to an interview I did with my friend Ed Hadley about his uh 35 year long run, still going, his radio show called Incoming Wounded.
0: I got on the air at WEFT in 1981, two months after they went on the air, and I started a radio program that was basically aimed at um, alternative rock and roll um, and bands and long cuts. Out of this developed an interest in alternative music, alternative forms. Eventually, I had to pick a name for a show, and it kind of came down to uh, through a suggestion of a guitarist by the name of matt Stewart, that was a friend of mine from a long time ago he suggested either waxed fruit or incoming wounded and i really wasn't wild about waxed fruit so i chose incoming wounded for the hell of it and it sort of implies not being there altogether but still in the in the house And I had some listeners that would call in at times, and they weren't quite all together. But they were still calling me up and talking to me, so I'd have conversations. So it kind of described sometimes how I felt when I came into the studio. Sometimes felt like what some of the listeners felt like when they were listening to the show. So that's kind of where the name came from. Now, the show actually started out as just playing tune after tune after tune. Then in the station we had to have work done at times, and the studio got hot, so there would be all this noise in the background. So I started putting background noises like dogs walking, cars passing by, and stuff like that. And from there, I started playing around with more more sound. bank to Andros Island. Um, Elsewhere, though not detected by radar, visual observations indicate that isolated air and light showers were occurring over Dane County. The entire financing process by phone. <laughs> but the whole show has been kind of an improv, because I would have things selected that I wanted to play. And I would have them in kind of a list, and I would go into the studio, and they wouldn't be there. So I would have to make up stuff on the fly. So it came to the point where after a while, I was just making up, I wouldn't even plan the show. I'd just come in and see what was on the shelf. I might have a few things in reserve that I kind of like, but I'd just see what was on the new shelf, and I'd pull it in, and I'd play it. And I go on from there. And so every show was kind of different because I could never count on what was there. (laughs) The reason I came to the radio station, WEFT, was that I was listening to ICE. A lunchtime collection they would play on a local college station. They'd play these lunchtime collections of bands. But they had to have three albums out. So I call up this guy and I say, you know, this is the fourth time I've heard Genesis. I like Genesis. They're a good band. But how about Peter Gabriel? Well, he's got to have three albums out. Well, he's got three. You'd think he's working on the fourth. How about putting on... Well, if you don't like what we're playing, you should just go get your own radio show. Okay, well, I'll look into that. And then WEFT was just getting started. So I went over there and I started the air Shifter training class. So what I was wanting to do is I was wanting to play things like King Crimson, Pink Floyd, uh, and some experimental music that I had experienced a long time, and then just explore the radio collection. And that's the first time I really got to listen to Taj Mahal. First time I got to listen to a lot of blues people. First time I really got a fairly broad experience with jazz. So my interest had been from rock and kind of the psychedelic and extended cuts. So I got a late night show and I started expanding out. The show went from two hours to three hours to four hours, ultimately to six. Currently I'm doing about four to five hours. Uh, and. It started as an alternative to mainstream or college station uh, radio that was oriented toward kind of a top 40 of alt rock, art rock, alt rock. And actually alt rock isn't a right. quite, that came along a little later, you know, this was so, aggressive rock. So did you have an influence?
1: Meaning, had you been exposed to radio like this
0: before? Or, or uh, in any in any any sort of way. About the closest I would say is I, there were some air, some DJs on the local college station WPGU that would, at night, they kind of let them do their own thing. And I remember I heard uh, Vandergraph Generator the first time when I was I had the speakers on either side of my head when I went to bed, and here I'm hearing the Plague of the Lighthouse Keeper as the ships are crashing back and forth and in the middle of the night, and I wake up and I go, what the hell's this? Ooh, this sounds neat. So, yeah, I'd heard a little bit of it on the local college station, but they kind of started becoming more and more commercial. And then I heard about this WEFT radio station, and they were kind of, some of those people were kind of upset because their station had turned into an elevator music station. So I hadn't really been exposed To anything like that. So in some ways, I was kind of inventing off of what I'd heard late night. And then it got to the point where I had to add background sounds to kind of drown out the fan in the background or the rustling of the plastic when they were redoing the front of the building. And then it it got to the point where, hey, I found a recorder and I started doing things like recording my dogs walking and that sort of stuff. And... I just started adding in things and just kind of flying by the seat of my pants, and it was a lot of fun, but challenging and frustrating. So I've 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 developed from somebody who just listened to records at home to somebody who's actually gotten to the point where I'm trying to produce my own sounds and my own music. And I try to do that. The first hour of my show is is an improv and or a mashup of things that were improv before. Then after that, I explore. World music and techno, experimental music and uh, rock and roll. Sometimes I'll even do a blues set. I haven't quite gotten to the point where I do a country set, but <laughs> there's enough out there in alternative country for it. So it's just basically a music exploration. I like to I like to hear different types of music. If I can hear a reggae version of Dark Side of the Moon, I'll do it. If I can, I'm still looking for the bluegrass version of Dark Side of the Moon.
1: <laughs> well, well, so. Here's the thing. When I first heard your show, I first heard your show probably about 13 years later, around 1994. Sounds about and, and so, and I had been in college radio before that in the late eighties. Right. And, and there were people who did something a little bit like that in my college station, but I was aware of negative land, right. Mm-hmm. Who, who were, who are collage artists. They make their musicians. They make collage. People may have heard their, their U2 mashup with Casey Kasem. And in that, I heard some of that spirit in your show and I was aware that the negative land guys had actually had their own and do have their own radio show on KPFA Mm -hmm. community radio station in Berkeley where they do, you know, it's more, there's more people involved, but do kind of music and, and, and and stream of consciousness and it's a collage kind of format. I was like, here, here's, here's this kind of going on. And, and I, I was like, you know, were you influenced?
0: Did you know about any of this other stuff going on? Well, actually, um, and Negative Land came along uh, after. I, I heard the YouTube thing, and I, I wanted to play that on my show. It was hard to find because they had... all the But because it was like 1991 by that point.
1: You'd been doing yeah. it for about 10 years.
0: Well, actually, I... I don't know that I really started adding the the collage and all that sort of stuff until the late 80s. You know, I, I went probably the first five to seven years or so before I really started adding that sort of stuff.
1: And when you're recording your own stuff, I mean, did you, did this just an idea you had Did that did, did it was there, you know, when you started recording your own ambient sounds or your dogs going for a walk?
0: Well, I didn't really... I didn't really uh model it on anybody except maybe uh Philip Perkins. He's a sound collage artist, and one of the uh one of the people in the program, I think is Goddard Graves, maybe and it might have been Dave Thomas who was the first station manager. Goddard Graves, I think was the first uh, program manager at the station. They pointed me to this Philip Perkins, and it was uh, um, remotes. And the South Florida remotes, and there were some California remotes. And then they had some other stuff that was a little bit more traditional experimental music, if you can <laughs> figure that one. But these things were sound collage. They had pieces from NPR, radio commercials, uh, um, rain falling on the, on the tin roof, uh, helicopters flying over, and, and this sort of stuff. And it just really amazed me that this stuff would jive together, but not jive, and it still held my interest. And then Brian Eno with his Ambient albums, Music for Airport, also a guy by the name of Luraji, um, and I forget the name of his first CD on, on Ambient Records. They were of things that were popping around in the back of my head. Also, Robert Fripp and Eno's No Pussyfootin', which kind of started changing my attitudes about what is music. And then I was reading also Robert Fripp's diaries after, when he quit the business and before he did exposure with, uh, with uh, Peter Gabriel. So this is like late 70s yeah, into late the early 70s, 80s. Early 80s yeah. at the, the most. So some of the stuff is all kind of collecting, but I really didn't start doing that for myself until the late 80s and maybe the early 90s. And I have to admit, one of the uh, uh, station managers uh, there said, look, you know, you're doing some neat stuff. Just keep on doing it. You know, we kind of like, I was kind of asking, you know, I I play around with this stuff and I don't necessarily do breaks the way everybody else does. Is this okay? Oh, yeah, you're doing great.
1: And your show, when I came to know it, uh, Midnight on
0: Saturdays, is that where it always has been? Yes. I am the longest running air shifter with the same time slot and the same host. So 36 years. 37.
1: 37 years. Midnight Saturdays. So it means, for the most part, that's been your Saturday night.
0: No social life. (laughs) I don't go to the midnight movies the way I used to. Your social Uh, life is the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, at one point, I had a a problem with my intestines, and I was kind of away from the show for a while, uh, kind of recuperating with that. And I kind of got the feeling, you know, if I had to take a long break from this, like five, six months. I don't know if I would have the energy to go back to it. But on Saturday night, there are times when I just really don't want to go to that show. And I'll get in there and I'll start mucking around. And after about a half hour, I find that I'm in the groove. And when it comes time to close down in four hours, I've still got about half dozen to a dozen songs that I want to play. And I know I'm only going to get about eight of them in.
1: Well, let me paint a picture of maybe the first time I, I came to your show, um, probably around 1994, maybe 1995. And you're there in the studio, and you've got this Casio keyboard that also has like this voice pitch unit. It's called unit. a vocal arranger. And so it's got a little microphone that you've rubber banded to the microphone, the main <laughs> microphone, so that it adds these voice effects, and you're playing along. And you have probably both CD players going. You probably have the tape deck going. You might have had a piece of vinyl going, maybe not all at the same time, but kind of fading in and out. And it's coherent. Like what I, my view on it is what I would hear on the air is coherent. It's not just a garbled mess. It's not just like constant uh, chaos, Thanks but you don't really know what you're hearing either. You're And you might hear something familiar for a little while, but you might not. And sometimes you'll hear a full, complete song, but then you'll hear the ambient sounds and then I'll hear a vocal and I'm like, wait a second, is that,
0: is that, is that the recorded, or is that the clown <laughs> in the, on the studio doing this weird stuff?
1: And, and, and so, you know, that's what you were doing maybe, you know, 10, 12 years into it you say it developed in that first decade or so. And I'm curious, you know, so you're doing this sort of, and no one at the station gets in your way, certainly. And maybe even you got some words of encouragement. Like, what, were, what was a listener reaction like? You said early on, you know, it's late Saturday night. It's the early 80s. So people are in various states, states of, mind. of mind, of altered consciousness, of the end of their consciousness. But <laughs> yeah. you probably also had some listeners who were
0: a little more with well, it. Well, I would have to say that to a certain extent, I've never really gotten a lot overflowing feedback. It's midnight. Um, it's midnight on a yeah, Saturday. Yeah, I don't really expect it it's either. Hours. So, at the beginning, you might get the people spent in particular before I started doing the real radical um, experimental stuff at the beginning of the show, you get people who would be requesting tunes and about 50% of the time I couldn't supply it because I either couldn't find the album or it was too popular and it wasn't in our collection. If it was, it would disappear um but then there's the uh, the occasional people that would call up and rail against me what the hell is this sort of stuff but one of the one of the neater ones was a truck driver that he called up one night and he says what, what is this your plan and i told him he says well i just want to let you know that i i come by through here on the interstate on a fairly regular basis and I always try to tune into your station because you're always playing something interesting. And, and particularly, I've heard your show a, a number of times as I'm cruising by north and south on the, the local interstate. So, so you're doing this show at
1: midnight on a Saturday, mm. through sometimes till two, sometimes three, sometimes four, sometimes five in the morning. Uh, collaging things together, you sort of came to it. What keeps you coming back week after week? What, what 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 helps you do it for ten years, then twenty, then thirty, it's and an plus? Addiction,
0: and I have no social life. <laughs> I am just a little crazy man sitting in the booth in the middle. No, I I don't know. No. I don't know exactly why I do it, except that it's it's and generally it's just fun. I'm always finding music that I haven't heard before. It's an experiment. It's uh, and that's fun. It's uh, an exploration of music that I don't hear. It's also saved me a hell of a lot of money from buying records because I tape my show and I can go home and listen to my tapes.
1: So you've got a, you've got your own custom mixtape every single week.
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I, you know, I can and it's interesting because I'm on a vacation. I had couldn't find a, a, a substitute, so I fixed up a six-hour podcast more or less it took me 24 hours to do that i can go in there and do a six hour show in six hours you know so and and it's because i don't have all the equipment and everything set up at home and i have to do all this and editing on the computer i'm not going to do a podcast like that again so i'm going to have to figure out how if i can't be there i can sit at home and do this on the fly and it was, I don't think it was as spontaneous as uh, what I do on the fly. You don't want to listen back to a tape that's just a wall
1: of noise for two yeah. or three hours. It sounds like you made something you would want to listen to.
0: Yeah, that, and that was. Actually, one of the reasons I got into this is I wanted to... Well, back in the early 70s, I had an old Sony brick mono-brick tape recorder. And I figured out a way of actually doing double uh, recordings on it. If you put a paper over the erase head, you can actually... Record over th- the yeah, same yeah, tape so over and over the same again. Tape. And you can get double prints, you know, right. that sort of stuff. So I could get sound on sound. Hey, wow, it sounded crappy, but I could get sound on sound. But I was walking around with a Sony brick and a pack and a set of Sennheiser headphones. So I had a Walkman before Sony had Walkmans out in the miniature state. So I was walking around and people would say, where's that music coming from? You know, sometimes I didn't have the headphones on. And why is this guy wearing these weird yellow and red, not, yellow and white headphones? But the, so I almost always wanted to have a soundtrack. I wanted to be able to create my own soundtrack, but I didn't have enough money to go out and buy an expensive uh, mixer and all that sort of which, stuff. Which, which was very expensive oh, in, yeah. the, in those dollars. And really, to get that, you wanted to get, say, a sound-on-sound type tape recorder, and the, most of those are reel-to-reel, and that was even more. The four-channel? Ooh, right. big bucks. In the long run, I got into the station and I could make my own soundtracks, and that was, that was nice, and that was great. When it was just music, song after song after song, that was cool. But then I just wanted to add more to it. And I have to admit that really incoming wounded started to really blossom into other things about the time that you came along, Paul, and started being crazy on the air along with me. And I ran into your show, Just Angry Noise, that inspired me to add more things. So in the long run, I always looked at the thing as kind of a platform. I didn't really have objections to people coming in and doing things as long as they weren't picking up something and throwing and trying to really disrupt. And when you guys started coming in, I, I actually felt honored that somebody actually wanted to come <laughs> into my radio show and, and be part of it at that time of night. Everybody else had gone to bed. It's Really cool when these people come in and they're smart people and they do all this crazy stuff. And so to a certain extent, all I have to do is noodle on the keyboard.
1: Welcome to Applebee's. My name is Jerry. May I take your order? can you, you like you do to do drink? with
0: this
3: Duck here, huh,
0: idiot? Would you, you duck
1: like to try the Mango Tango?
0: I don't want to be here unless you can do something with my duck.
1: Would you like to try some Mango
0: Tango? Only if it's on top of my duck. You get it, my duck! I my duck duck! But a lot of those airships were known as the lost airship. Another lost airship and a date. And no list of what we played <laughs> or anything, just noising around. So and thanks for doing this interview. I, I like to talk about this stuff. I don't get a chance to. All I got at home is a dog. <laughs> and he doesn't converse very well. Well thank you, Ed. I really You're appreciate it. You're very welcome. It
2: and that was ed hadley of the show incoming wounded on weft speaking with paul rismondel about staying up late and doing radio and doing it for 35 years
1: <laughs>
3: that's, that's an accomplishment that's a long
1: run and it is but you see that in community and college radio cuz often college radio uh, alumni have the opportunity to stick around or sometimes there are community volunteers who also are able to stick around. I just wanted to share that because I think it's very quintessential in a way. I feel like I've gone to other stations and met somebody not unlike Ed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and Jennifer, you actually had the opportunity to hear the show.
3: Yeah. When I, when I went to the grassroots radio conference in Urbana and got to hang out with you, Paul, and we toured weft and I remember at the end of the evening, I went back to my hotel room and then you were going to head back to Weft because you were going to join in this like late night improv jam session. So I I tuned in on the clock radio in my room <laughs> and heard some of the experimental sounds.
1: <laughs> and and, and can, do you remember anything? Are you willing to, to give an impression?
3: <laughs> no, I don't remember. I mean, it it, it was familiar because... I'm used to hearing that kind of programming. So, you know, I don't remember the details, but I remember it being, you know, this interesting collage of sounds. Um, and you know, it's often hard to actually figure out what's going on unless you're there. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what was being performed on instruments. I don't know what was being performed, what was being played from, you know, LPs probably or CDs
1: at that point. So the 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 ensemble, such as it is, is the name is the Noise Assembly, which you heard Ed mention towards the end of that interview. N o i z Noise Assembly. Uh, and at that point, we were probably all live. So you know, we have folks who have synthesizers or samplers and things like that. But 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 there probably was no CD or record. It was probably all hmm. being performed live, some way or another.
3: And I have, I mean, I don't know if I'm making this up, but could somebody have been doing like spoken word utterances? Oh, certainly, yes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Again, you you hear in that interview, yes, there there was most definitely uh, some spoken word utterances, maybe telling a story, call and response. Yes. Uh, We'll we'll have uh, some links to some segments out of the show. Uh, at our website. If you go to radiosurvivor.com slash podcast, look for episode number 105. Um, Ed has put some things up on SoundCloud. So uh, you can have an opportunity to listen a little bit of that. But Jennifer, you said that, you know, this is sort of a kind of radio you're accustomed to hearing. Uh, Where?
3: (laughs) Everywhere. Well, I mean, KFJC, where I'm a DJ at Foothill College, there's a lot of that type of programming throughout the programming day. So, you know, I was thinking a lot about late night programming and is this sort of thing only heard in the middle of the night um, and at KFJC sometimes it is heard in the middle of the night but sometimes it might be heard in the afternoon Oh, no. so we've had you know there are a lot of DJs that mix things do collage all the time um, we had one of our favorite unfortunately dearly departed DJs Cy Thoth He wrote his own poetry, so he would often have these really bizarre um, microphone breaks where he would be, you know, sharing his philosophy while mixing, you know, I don't know. Sometimes people have all the turntables running at once, so it's hard to know what all is playing. Um, So he's one example. I remember him.
1: I remember when I first met you in person, I think, so hmm. this would probably be about 2009, uh, you, I was in San Jose for a conference and you were kind enough to come pick me up and take me to see KFJC. And I remember when we, first of all, there was like a, like a display, I think, or, or like a, a um, a, of different KFJC posters and, and ephemera. And then, um, and then we went in and Cy was on the air. And uh, I, so I remember meeting him, and I also though remember hearing it on the radio, and then hearing it sort of in the station before seeing oh, him. Oh wow,
3: right? that's so cool!
1: And and getting that sense of like, and I f- yes, felt very familiar and yet singular <laughs> because of his sort of aura. Is is are, I mean, is there any uh, archive of his out there? Is there any way yeah, somebody we- who are interested could hear some of some of his work?
3: Yeah, I think it I think we're still adding things to the archives. I mean, for a while it was weekly where we were reposting old Cythoff shows. Oh, great. Um, he had a very distinctive voice too. Mm-hmm. In fact, he was a KFJC listener before he um joined up as a volunteer. So I remember visiting the KFJC training class and um and somebody asked a question and I heard his voice and I was like oh, you've called my radio show before. (laughs) I completely recognize. So he had called a bunch of our shows. He was a big fan. And then he joined the station and, you know, did these really trippy, really trippy shows. And he has this very distinctive voice where he, uh, his legal ID was something to the effect of broadcasting from Foothill College. This is KFJC. I can hear
1: it. (laughs) <laughs> I um, could hear it in my head uh, that and, – and he was on at like four or five in the afternoon, right?
3: Yeah. He had a drive time show two to six <laughs> in the afternoon on Thursdays. And, so that's why I'm saying like, you know, at KFJC, you could hear this sort of odd stuff. Oh, sure. Um, at any time. Oh, and another, another DJ um, who, you know – he would He would actually record other people's shows or grab other people's shows from the archives and cut and paste clips and then reassemble things during his morning drive show, which was like six to ten in the morning mm-hmm. and so you might hear about it later that your voice was on his show, and sometimes he would loop things, so you would hear some other mm. d j from the station looping a phrase in the midst of some weird collage set on this guy's show um and i think i heard rumors that he recorded me at there was this kusf protest and he must have found audio from that um and he apparently played some of that on his show one time and i totally (laughs) missed it so it was sort of like even more insidery um You know, and fascinating, very meta to be using material from the station on your own show. Ed
1: Ed did that to me. Ed Hadley, uh, I remember uh, one night I'm I'm falling asleep late Saturday night listening to Ed's show, which can sort of lull you to sleep sometimes. And I wake up. To the sound of my own voice yelling, because I, I, I had done also. I had been doing a late night show, which I uh, which was noise and metal, so a more aggressive sort of show. So I did it with a fair amount of aggression, and I remembered that at one point Ed had had uh, come by my show one night, um, and he walked in the door with a microphone on a pistol grip. <laughs> and i was just i was mid mic break and i integrated him into the show and whatever but that's then he took that same tape and he was playing it on his show in fine. the middle of one of these collage mixes and i'm sure without any not necessarily knowing that i was listening um and sort of being
2: jarred out of half slumber sort of a little taken aback uh, that i'm waking myself up that's one of the things i like about about these radio stations that we celebrate is that they're um they're, they're, on the one hand, the the job they do is is playing existing media, you know, art art that has been already uh, published by other artists, usually musicians. But then they're also an opportunity for for a creative expression that uh, that composts all of that stuff. That takes the takes the music and the recordings and what's going on in the community live and. Opening the phones, I think that's one of my favorite things about these types of late night shows. That uh, they are they really are open to people calling in, and then people could call in in character or out of character. Right? That's like over the edge, right? Yeah. The uh, which is on KPFA
1: in Berkeley. Uh, we we've spoken about it a long time ago. Yeah, we on celebrated the show. that was that was episode. When we celebrated the life of Don Joyce, (laughs) who unfortunately we lost in uh, 2015, uh, who was the original host of that show. But uh, it it may be more well-known amongst uh, people for being the home of Negative Land, the the music collage group uh, that's been around for quite some time. And I know that uh, they just opened the phone lines sort of randomly and mixed in They only had one
2: rule. Only one rule. And that was not to say hello. Don't say hello. When you are connected, just go. And they just mix it right
1: in to whatever happens to be going on.
3: Yeah, I love that. I love that creativity. And that's, I mean, and that's even really opening yourself up. The phone lines can be scary (laughs) if you're. A college radio DJ or a community radio well, DJ. Well that's why yeah. you
1: need to do it late at night when it's, <laughs> yeah. when it's safe harbor so if anyone accidentally drops an F-bomb or purposely. Uh, or purposely drops an F-bomb you are not likely to be fined and if it's not safe harbor you hope that uh, you have a seven second delay with a dump button right. <laughs> so that you can hit it. So I'm a little curious here Jennifer uh, if you have a sense for how the audience, the KFJC audience responds to such kind of uh, uh, eclectic and collageous sounds during the daytime during during drive time, right? Mm. Do you get calls? Do you you know? Do other DJs talk about the response? Do you, Do you have any sense at all?
3: Well, I mean, Scythoth was definitely well loved, and his afternoon drive time show, I think, was um, appealing to listeners. And and we don't have we don't have a very regimented schedule. So people are used to hearing a variety of things um, at different times of the day. So it, it's a little different from a station where people are expecting to have a particular genre and, right. um, and things are really all over the map. So I think people come to expect it. And, and we always joke about, you know, driving in your car with family members and hearing something and people will ask, is something wrong with my car or mm-hmm. is that KFJC? <laughs>
1: <laughs> right. And it's, and, and I think that what's interesting to me, you know, as a college station in some ways, KFJC might have the permission of its listeners in a way to take these even greater risks. Cause I think to myself, you know, for a lot of community stations, especially community stations that that are sort of well established, been around a long time. Uh, there's a sort of, uh, unspoken agreement with listeners of sorts right where they know that during the day the the station is going to be somewhat more conventional in many cases you know and so some of it may be talk programming it might playing doc democracy now local news other sorts of interview shows or it will be uh sort of music not heard elsewhere but that's also uh not particularly grating or surprising. So it might be indie rock or blues, world beat music and things like this. And that to some extent, the agreement is that you reserve the crazy stuff for late at night. Right. And in part, because I think community stations um, serve a very broad swath of listeners and they tend to be very, you know, very dependent upon listeners for funding and not everybody's necessarily into hearing, uh more challenging sounds in the morning. I, I remember distinctly once filling in or helping someone fill in on a jazz show, which is a morning show, many many years ago, and we played a free jazz number and the phones lit up and it was it was a pretty out jazz number and a couple of people yelled at us out and out yelled at us. <laughs> Like, what are you doing playing, you know, like, we're fine if you play some Coltrane, but this sort of way yeah. out screechy jazz at nine in the morning is not acceptable. So. Huh.
3: Yeah, listener expectations play a big part of it. And and there's certainly college stations that I've visited that reserve the late night hours for the more experimental stuff. And, and some of it I think is, is probably worries over content. So yeah, like often sure. you'll see hip hop shows after 10 PM, most likely out of worries about language because often, often hip hop tracks can contain salty language. Well, and
1: also especially if they're uh, focusing on more underground stuff, those are labels that don't have the budget to create radio edits. Yeah. Whereas, you know, the big mainstream stuff, there'll be a radio edit that they service. But if you're playing something lesser known, it, you know, there's n- no one there to, to take out the F-bombs.
3: So, yeah, like I, I definitely see stations where you're seeing things like metal shows and experimental shows in the late night hours. Uh, but at KFJC, you might hear metal at six in the morning, too. So, you know, it's kind of like be prepared. Yeah. And there are stations. For
1: like that, I mean, I think WFMU is a station that it, I mean is truly freeform, and they and and you will hear shows that are pastiche and collage, as well as sort of genre related, uh, in the middle of the day, right? Um, and in WFMU is in New Jersey; it's in Jersey City; it's right on the edge there, right by Manhattan. So it's a huge media market, and I think when uh, in probably in a larger media market, you have that opportunity to take more of those chances. 24 hours a day compared to maybe if you're the only kind of uh, community college, non-commercial free-formish station in, in the area, uh, you know, that the listener expectation maybe weighs on you a bit more, but we'll definitely and, um, go ahead.
3: Oh, and you know, at KFJC, you might have shows that are the entire show might be collage and out there, but there are also a lot of DJs that, that will do, you know, small, take small little, Um, experimental risks like we have one turntable where you can play records backwards so you know a lot of DJs will play with that occasionally playing a record backwards or playing around with the speed of a record slowing things down, speeding things up um, mixing two tracks together so a lot of that happens and might not even necessarily be detected by listeners, they might not know what's going on and it might not even sound that Well,
1: that's the best, right? I mean, because if it is... I mean, I think even for myself, I enjoy a lot of this, but if if all I'm getting are sheets of sort of undecipherable noise... Uh, for hours on end, I probably, I, even I probably don't have much of a tolerance for that and my tolerance is really high, right? And so I think there's a bit of an artistry really to somebody and I think I would say that of my of my friend Ed is certainly uh, of, of the KFJ, KFJC DJ uh, Psy uh, of how uh, they did this with with a degree of artistry, a degree that, right, you don't always know what you're hearing but it's not like you don't know that you're totally disoriented so much as you're hearing what is essentially something new something that may be knit from it may be a quilt that's knit from other pieces but but at, at the same time it is actually can be pleasant can be melodic can be yeah. enjoyable can be can be uh informative even uh, even if it if it's not just conventional you know song segue song segue song
3: and some of it you know for me I started doing those sorts of things in college where my college radio station had records like some weird records from the 1940s Um, spoken word records where people were talking about their philosophy of life. And so I think for some people, when you're at a radio station that has an interesting library of physical music, that can spark this creativity of blending things together. So I I think, you know, at a lot of stations, people are trying to get DJs to dig into what we call the stacks because that's where creativity can be born from finding things that you didn't know you were looking for and playing around with them and, you know, letting yourself kind of be, be free to explore.
1: Well, we're out of time here. So um, we will definitely put links to uh, some of these different examples of great freeform experimental radio On our show notes, radiosurvivor.com slash podcast, look for episode number 105, and we are a listener and reader-supported enterprise. Um, Anything you can do to help us keep doing what we do, we really appreciate it. Go to radiosurvivor.com slash support to learn how. Another way you can support us and you can help us out is super simple. Um, If you listen to the podcast, please subscribe in what? application you use, whether it's Stitcher, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, whatever it is, please subscribe so you always get the show as well if you can rate us in the in the apps where you're allowed to rate us. That helps out a lot. It helps people find the show, bring new listeners to the fold, and spreads the word about great community media of course if you have any comments about the show please send them to us podcast at radiosurvivor.com Jennifer Waits our college radio correspondent thanks so much for joining us on this edition
3: happy to happy to be here as always
1: yeah have a good day Jennifer and thank you Eric and thank you everyone for listening